Welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mick Spell Morrigan. And once again, I am taking you on a journey into exploring the question, why horror? Where each week, myself and a different guest try and unpack the question. So this week, I am joined once again, returning guest to the podcast, the wonderful E. Grain, who is the host of the fantastic podcast, What a Scream, which you should go listen to. So before we jump into the discussion, if you could just, yeah, introduce yourself and kind of your connection to horror. Um, well, as you said, I am the host of the horror movie podcast, What a Scream, where myself and a special guest chat about a certain topic or subject of horror and then we discuss two films that kind of have to do with it um i am also a contributor to ghouls magazine um i've contributed to bangoria dread central um horrified magazine and i'm also the senior contributor at uh moving pictures film club which i saw was one of the more recent um things for you so that's really yes. cool massive yeah. congratulations because well you. well deserved and Thank you. you are most welcome and <laughs> um, so yeah for for these discussions I always like to kick it off with this first question because every horror fan has their own unique answers and I just like hearing what it is for each person so for you what was the first horror film that you remember watching and then slightly related because sometimes the answers are different what was the horror film that made you a fan of horror um, I, 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 when I ask, like I ask people this on my podcast as well, and I'm so jealous of people that can like pinpoint the exact movie that they saw first. Mm. I was, I kind of came into horror, not through movies, but through, uh, folklore and mm-hmm. books, literature, um, art. That was my kind of furor into it as well as like, I guess horror lights like Tim Burton and mm. uh, there used to be a kids TV show. I seem to be the only one that remembers <laughs> this. There was a kids TV show called Monster Cafe on CBBC. Mm. And it was like uh, the Dr. Frankenstein and Dracula and I think Dr. Jekyll as well. They had their own cafe um, and it was great. And unless this was like some weird fever dream I had while well, like sick, but um, no. So that kind of got me into horror. And then I'd always catch things like I'd sneak downstairs and, Mm. you know, my parents would be watching X-Files or one of the earliest horror film experiences that I can remember was a Rocky Horror Picture Show Mm. and B, I saw Suspiria really young, but didn't know it was Suspiria. Right. Um, So I've always been like, what the hell was that film I watched when I was five? and so I never was allowed to watch horror films because I had a massive imagination and my mm. parents were just like absolutely not we're not dealing with the nightmares we're not <laughs> dealing with that um but the very one of the very first um horror films that I can remember watching really 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 clearly was um I think it was something called the toolbox murders mm. uh, which is about a serial killer 
Um, and that's because my very first time babysitting my little sister, we had the horror channel and that's mm. what was on. So a bit foggy of an answer. So I'm sorry, I don't have a very clear. No, and um, that's really cool. And I think uh, as I've been having these conversations, everyone, uh, it's really, I love everyone's different types of approaches or answers because sometimes it's either, you know, someone had like, a guiding hand in a parental figure or older sibling that was like you know introducing them to the wonderful world of horror or it's the case that someone comes from a more kind of conservative background Mm. or just the case of like hard no to horror and it's like a rebellious act of engaging with it I always I think it's 50 50 how someone approaches horror yeah exactly um the first horror film that I can think of that really got me into horror was probably I'm going to say it was The Exorcist, which is my Mm. favorite um, horror film of all time. And I was at my boyfriend's house at the time. We were like 15 and we'd probably been out drinking somewhere we shouldn't have been. And we came home and he was like, have you ever watched The Exorcist? And I was like, no. And he put it on and it was like, it was like a call of trumpets (laughs) went off. And I was like, this is what my life is meant to be like. That's that's a pretty good experience to have when watching yeah. a film for the first time yeah. but it's like I know like you've talked about it before on your own show as well like your love for the exorcist I do think that people like ourselves who've kind of like been reared in a very catholic Ireland mm. have this kind of unique relationship to films like the exorcist mm. or any type of film that deals with you know possession and mm. demonology and always painting the church as the heroes because we're yeah. it's always that weird complicated relationship of like uh, yeah. I don't know if I want to be rooting for these guys yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm the same yeah whenever I usually root for the demons though which is terrible no no <laughs> the demons are the sassy ones like they're the, they're the, they're the fun ones right and, uh, and uh like speaking of like the sassy ones i think it's almost also the same for like you know the queer coded villains like you know us yeah. keep queer horror fans that's where we gravitate towards because they're usually the people that are the most interesting have the best yeah. fashion sense and yeah. you know they're yeah. just more compelling yeah i mean it's the same with disney villains like i've always been a massive fan of ursula mm-hmm. um ursula maleficent um and it's because they are just so darn sassy and they hate authority and I was like that's me like the fat sassy bitch like that's me <laughs> yeah 100% and I, I actually like love like that little comment about they hate authority and like it's always in the case particularly I think in Disney films that anyone who does hate authority is a villain because yeah. like we're supposed to toe the party line and stuff like that and it's just like exactly yeah no they're more interesting yeah <laughs> but um kind of going back more to horror I want to know for yourself uh when it comes to engaging with horror films do you like have kind of clear lines as in one side this is horror on another side definitely not horror or is it more kind of like gray and does it more fluctuate for yourself when it comes to engaging with horror films um I don't know it's so hard because obviously like most art it's subjective mm-hmm. and what could be conceived as a horror for one person may not be horror at all for another person I mean there's always that argument as well about psychological thrillers like mm-hmm. is seven is seven a horror film in my view yes it is um it's just for me personally I'm gonna go completely on my personal it's anything that elicits 
somewhat of um, a like physical response mm-hmm. um, because I just feel that when you're watching say like a normal thriller you're kind of like meh, meh, okay whereas a horror you're like even if it's not you don't see it as a very good horror there's still that tension and they're still like oh my god something's mm. coming these people are in danger whether it's like supernatural zombie whatever these people are in danger and that that is the horror it's a film that explores our deepest darkest fears desires thoughts um fantasies but puts like either a completely fantastical spin on it like mm. ghosts or serial killers, or supernatural serial killers. You know, it's it's that kind of film. Um, whereas, you know, something like a thriller, you're kind of like, it's not really an exploration. It's more like a just a play out of a situation. Mm-hmm. No, one hundred percent. I really like that, and I definitely would would agree with the you know something that elicits some form of like a physiological response because mm-hmm. I think that's really what it is and this is like um a quote like a bit that I've like said so much during this series because it just is so true but the author Joe Hill son of Stephen King and um, he's always saying that you know what drives horror isn't trying to create fear it's trying to create profound empathy as mm-hmm. in that's what makes horror successful is that you're feeling empathy for the characters that are going yeah. through this horrible situation. And I think that's why, you know, when you're watching films, like it's why sometimes you end up like actually like you almost end up rooting for the villain. Like if you're mm. watching, like particularly like we look at like the slashers from the eighties and stuff like that, like, you know, the Fred, like the Jason films or the Freddy films, mm. a lot of those characters, like the teens are so, one-dimensional and hollow and not real fleshed out characters that you're just wanting to see how Jason is going to kill them or how Mm. Freddy is going to kill them because you don't have empathy for these non-existent people (laughs) exactly yeah yeah and I think that's really what it is and it comes down to the physiological Mm. response but also as you said earlier it is subjective experiences yeah and like I think that links to this and I imagine as someone who does like you know critique horror in like the written format for different um different avenues different magazines different outlets you you probably encounter this as well on twitter or other online spaces but you i see this a lot that someone will say this horror film wasn't good because it didn't scare me and i want to know what you think about that do you think a horror film has to be scary to be considered good or effective Yeah, a point, yes. Mm. Because what is the point of horror if it's not got some form of fear or um or or scariness to it? However, what scares one person isn't gonna scare another. And just because it didn't scare you doesn't mean that it's not gonna elicit an extreme response in someone else. You know, mm-hmm. I I could watch I could watch serial killer and torture all day and it wouldn't freak me out in the slightest mm. but possession freaks me out mm. um but that could be completely different to someone else so I think when someone's like oh this film wasn't scary so it wasn't a good horror film it's just like 
just because you're a marker of what you find scary mm. isn't wasn't approached in this film. I mean, it's the same when people are like, this film wasn't gory, so it's not a horror film. It's uh. like, well, you know, it doesn't have to be gory. Like, that's not what horror is about. Um, it is to a certain extent because there are horror films that play on someone's fear of gore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, it's all subjective. And I think horror elicits so much kind of, um, you know, people thinking they're right over other people. It's just, it's ridiculous how mm. almost silly people, and that's coming from like a film critic. Like yeah. um, it's almost silly how people get when they're like, oh, if you like this horror film, then you're stupid. Or even on the other end where people are like, if you didn't like this horror film, you're stupid. And you're just like, oh, mm-hmm. would you ever? Like for someone who's just really like kind of laid back about that stuff, I'm just kind of like, oh, would you ever feck off? Like, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, I think that's the best type of response for sure. Um, but yeah, really like, and I think whenever someone says X film wasn't scary, ergo it wasn't good, I always like, you know, my, my like philosophy brain always wants to probe and go, well, what, what is scary? What do you mean yeah. by scary? As in, you know, someone could say a scary horror film means it has to have jump scares. Mm. Whereas for another person, so it's not even something that's scary. It's more, as you said, it elicits a response, but it could even just some, be something that makes you feel uncomfortable. Exactly. Like, yeah. for example, like, Titan or Titan mm. I don't know how to pronounce it but like I saw that film once in the cinema I don't know how many months ago and I'm still thinking about it because yeah. so much of that just had a profound kind of effect on mm, me exactly yeah but it wasn't scary nothing scared yeah. me in it but yeah. it definitely did a number on me in a different yeah. in other ways yeah and yeah I think I think it just really comes down to just really reductive and limiting limited thinking and also binary thinking. People mm-hmm. think in binary so much that either has to be scary or it's not good yeah. or bad. And it's just like, that's just so boring. Break down yeah. the binaries and be more interesting with your thinking. Exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is like, I'd like to know what you think about this as someone who also is like a film critic. And um, I see this a lot from certain types of horror fans, this whole kind of like sweeping statement of, there's no good horror anymore. And I want to know what you think about that, because as someone who critically engages with horror, you're obviously probably seeing more horror than the average goer. So I want to know what you think about that type of statement. Like, where do you think that attitude comes from? Um, For people that don't actively seek out horror. Um, I mean, a lot of the people who say this only talk about the big blockbusters that are in the cinema. Mm -hmm. They don't go seek out independent horror, small release horror, um, even, you know, people that are putting up their horror shorts on YouTube, like the amount of amazing horror that's come out of just someone putting up a YouTube video. Um, mm. They're not seeking out horror. They're not horror fans. Like, Fuzz about you, but you're not a horror fan if you're going to say that, because there is amazing horror coming out of every orifice. And you've just got to go seek it and don't be so lazy. Like that's so lazy. Like Mm. if you're just going to look at what, like what Hollywood is pumping out, you're missing out on some amazing releases from other cultures, from other countries, Mm -hmm. from lower budget, like productions, like uh, stop being such lazy gobshites. Like (laughs) that's what I'd say to them. I love that. I I love the sassiness. Um, (laughs) But yes, no, 100%. And like, I definitely also think there's probably an element of 
I'm a cisgender straight white man and I'm no longer the focus of the films that are coming Absolutely. out. And it's, yeah, it's just like, you're lazy and boring. <laughs> Come mm. on, expand your palette. Like there's so much more interesting horror yeah. being made. Um, but yeah, so spinning off from that, this is one that I know it's kind of like, um, I think it's even come up on your show a few times too. And I'm always interested to hear what different perspectives are on. But I want to know, especially as someone who engages with, like is a fan of extreme cinema and extreme horror like how do you feel about like censorship like do you think there is a line when it comes to what can be represented on screen that we shouldn't do certain things or do you think art is art and everything at the end of the day should be permissible um generally yes um however there are some things when it comes to exploitation Mm. of uh marginalized groups or uh, it's not even like oh they are portraying you know of some taboo subjects I'm all about taboo like I love taboo subjects I was just about to say I love necrophilia I don't like <laughs> necrophilia that's gross but I'm interested <laughs> in the portrayal of necrophilia on film I think it's a really interesting subject mm-hmm. um um so like on that side of things I'd be like no you know no censorship absolutely not because then we're getting into fascist territory mm-hmm. however when someone's just doing a movie and you know being dickheads to every other marginalized group apart from the typical kind of you know doing it from a this male perspective then I'm kind of like oh you should be censored <laughs> 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 you need to go into a corner somewhere, the corner of the internet and censored. Um, so basically, just white cis men, I think, should be censored. <laughs> that... Just saying, just saying. <laughs> that is gonna, that's gonna be the soundbite now. I'm gonna play that all the time. I'm just gonna snip it out and just be. That. So yeah, that is gonna be re- like that'll be my phone ringtone now. <laughs> but no, um, yes, I'm loving this sassy grain. Thank you for coming on this has been brilliant um but no I think that's what you're hitting on there is where I'd land with it I think it really comes down to the intent like what Mm. was the filmmaker's intent and it's also I think you know why which is why I love them for example that you know Zoe or Zoba with a shotgun and Kelly have their new Our Bloody Mm. Obsession podcast because I do think extreme cinema deserves to be engaged with through a critical lens and I think that's the problem is that people aren't like so these films do deserve that type of critical awareness and merit you know discussed from that perspective because you need to examine the intent like for me like like take um you know rape revenge films for an example like i find watching a lot of rape revenge films as someone who is a you know survivor of rape a lot of times to be very cathartic mm-hmm. if they're done well like i think there's a way for it to be done handled badly and that's when i'm just like i don't think censorship should be the case but i think this person did a shit job and yeah. just wanted to show exploited graphic images for shock value yeah absolutely. yeah like I'd much rather have a Carly Fargat's revenge over say and I spit on your grave or something like that I think Mm. you know it depends on how it's handled or how it's portrayed is my approach so yes Mm -hmm. I'm very much no censorship because if you have censorship 
then you end up getting to banning books mm. and stuff like that. So I think we need to have that everything is permissible. But why are you doing this certain thing? Like, you know, I think that's what's yeah. needed. Yeah. Is the why. But coming from that about what was the filmmaker's intent, I want to know what you think about this one. Because again, this is something that's always fascinating my brain and I never know where I lie. And I always ask other mm. people what you think. So maybe I can get closer to some form of an answer. But do you think like the concept of like the death of the author can be applied to horror films? And I guess just filmmaking in general, like filmmaker has their intent but then someone's reading of a film also exists so I want to know what you think like is one more objectively correct over the other or is it kind of like a weird gray area of they both happen to exist yeah so for like I was thinking about this earlier mm. and art and horror films like it's such a unique thing where the creator will create a piece of art because they want to say something or they want to express something mm -hmm. or they want to get something off their chest. However, if you decide to put that in the public sphere, you are literally letting go of all control of this piece of art. Mm -hmm. You do not have control on its reception, how people will perceive it. And you've got to kind of let complete control, like just control, just give it over. Um, and I think that's a really interesting concept because it's, it's, it's almost like a Chinese whisper. You know, you mm. start off with this thing and you're like, right, it means this thing and I've said this. But all down the line through this public sphere, it becomes something completely different. Mm. Um, it's like that game you play. You know, it's like you start off with one line of a story yes. and everyone's got to add it on. So what your original intent for this story, it could end up completely different. And that's basically what art and horror films, what we're specifically talking about is, um, you know, I've watched plenty of films where, especially there was one recently, I'm not going to name it because I gave it quite a scathing review. <laughs> um, and the way it came across was just really, really bad terrible like really bad message mm. um whether that was the filmmaker's intent or not um but then again there's a certain point where there's been so many people work on that film it's not just the writer yeah you know or the original filmmaker there's producers there's editors there's you know i'm sure fellow screenwriters and so there's got to be a point where someone steps back, unless you've got all the same demographic of people, which is a problem, I guess. Yeah. Um, if you've got all the same demographic of people on that movie, um, there, there's not going to be a point where someone steps back and says, hey, look, this might mm. be perceived really badly. <laughs> Let's rethink this one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is really difficult and I'd say it's really difficult for filmmakers. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you've always got a battle with that reception, intention versus reception. Um, and I think it's a real, I'd love to like sit down with a, a filmmaker and actually talk about it. Perhaps not one that I've given a really bad review to. Like, <laughs> or maybe I would, maybe it would make like a really interesting, I should get in touch with this filmmaker and be like, hey, don't read the review. But but, um, <laughs> but no, but I think that's really, and I actually like how you mentioned about, you know, when it comes to making films at the end of the day, it can be a collaborative project. And the bigger you get in budget, mm -hmm. the less 
creative control there can be for the filmmaker so that's why like you know I always like have I guess some form of a struggle with asking that question can death of the author be applied because it's just like how do we know what was actually put out into the public was what the filmmaker intended to put out it could have been you know like especially like um this is like something that coming back to kind of like you know the censorship question like I've asked this for from for a few different guests now and a lot of a recurring response which I really like is I'm against censorship but I'm very much in favor of like a rating system which kind of says you know if you're of this um, age category then it's appropriate for you but Mm. if you're below this age category it might be too mature for you so Yeah. yeah and but then when you get bigger budgets and more studio horror a lot of the times films will be cut down to try and achieve a certain rating because mm. they want more you know butts and seats and they want to yeah. make more money and then again was that the film make- is what you're getting is that the actual filmmakers film or not so it yeah compounds that question more and I it makes it harder to answer mm. <laughs> um but stemming from that because I think it kind of relates to the whole these are collaborative projects and you know the bigger the budget there's more studio involvement and I know this is another one that you've had discussion really interesting discussions on your own show but the whole art versus artist when it comes Mm. to particularly like horror films as an example like do you think that there can be a separation is it really down to each individual's preference like what do you think um it's so hard isn't it like it's I mean with music like I'd be really into pop punk and there's been like loads of things come out about pop punk bands and I'm really good at just being like never gonna listen to them again because it's it's their voice like that you know there's no real kind of um watering down of you know that song Mm -hmm. is their voice and their voice is their voice basically but with film, because it is such a collaboration, like I'm going to take the, the Roman Polanski, yeah. um, Rosemary's Baby. I love Rosemary's Baby. Um, it was a book first, however, written by someone. Um, and it had amazing cinematography by a director of cinematography. Mm-hmm. The actors involved were amazing. Um, and so obviously Roman Polanski is the biggest shithead on <laughs> earth. And, you know, it, it always shocks me when people still sing his praises and want to work with him mm-hmm. um another example which is kind of like i I've, I've watched rosemary's baby and i've praised it not praising roman polanski yeah. praising the film and its message or whatever which is directly from the book um but a an example that i'd be really against would be jeepers creepers mm-hmm. and the director from jeepers creepers i can't remember his name and who cares yep. <laughs> um but i can't understand why these films keep getting made like he was literally in prison for child sex abuse like mm-hmm. why are they i know he's not attached to these films anymore but it was his they are his films yeah you know um I just I don't understand why they're on streaming sites I like no no and I think that's actually a perfect comparison um because like Rosemary's you know Rosemary's Baby as a film it's a brilliant film like it is just a great Mm. horror film and like even if like we were to say just completely ignore the fact that Roman Polanski made the film 
Rosemary's Baby, like, is, you know, a foundation for so much of horror history. Like, so many horror films and directors that are working now have experiencing Rosemary's Baby as a film to thank for their own vision and their own films that they make. So you have to, like, you can't kind of go, you can't really ignore that it exists because without it, certain films, certain directors wouldn't be who they are. Um, But also Rosemary's Baby, even though, yes, maybe you could say there's certain like shots, there's certain things that you can go, oh, Mm. that's like a Polanski shot or something like that. But the film itself, you don't really necessarily see Polanski's fingers on it. Mm. Whereas with the Jeepers Creepers films, you like you can tell that Victor Salva, the person mm. responsible for those films, you can tell that his grimy hands have been directed yeah. because a lot of that film revolves around really leery and lecherous shots of young men and young boys. Yeah. So I like I think it really com- it could come down to the filmmaker how easy yeah. it is to make that separation. Yeah. Also, and- Cheapest Creepers was made after he'd served his prison sentence. Yeah. Like he'd already served that prison sentence um, after, like before Jeepers Creepers. So once he came out and he made Jeepers Creepers, like studios gave him money for that. Yeah. Um, whereas obviously this isn't justifying it, but Rosemary's Baby was before the Roman Polanski thing. Yeah. And so it was already celebrated as a great horror film before all that happened. Um, obviously he should never have made any more films and you know fuck people like Johnny Depp for working with him again. Yeah. Um fuck Johnny Depp in general. But um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's just I mean it's so difficult. It's even when like an actor turns out to be the biggest shithead ever and you yeah. like one of their films and you're like, well fuck. Like mm. <laughs> I, but again it's this like I mean going on to a Marvel, I love uh Guardians of the Galaxy. Like yeah. love that film. Fucking hate Chris Pratt. Yep. It yeah. him. but like i can't hate gardens of the galaxy because there's so much more than just chris pratt in it yeah exactly and i always just think it's hilarious that his name is chris pratt and i know like, he's a pratt <laughs> yeah, exactly he just lives up to his name yeah. um but yes no that's such a good example um but yeah i just and i think actually where i always tend to lie and if i think about it a lot this is where i tend to end up planting my flag i do think there's a difference between critically engaging with a piece of art and commercially supporting a creator Mm. like you know this is the example I've been using a lot because you know for me you know I'm not necessarily going to judge another queer or trans person who might be able to find some beauty in the existing Harry Potter works like you know like if it was meaningful to them and it's they can still find beauty in it I'm not going to tell them they shouldn't Mm. but if someone was to go hey I'm going to still buy the new Harry Potter game and end up yeah. putting money in Rowling's pocket, then yeah. I'm going to side eye you and I'm going to be a little bit judgy. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, I think there's a difference between, and yeah. as you said, I sing praises on Rosemary's Baby, but not Polanski, because yeah. you're like, I do think there is a way to engage with art, but it comes down to personal preference. Like, yeah. as in, if someone says, you know, it, I don't care if, if I'm going to end up like, you know, limiting my horror cinema vocabulary I just can't engage with this filmmaker's work that's Mm -hmm. fair I don't think someone can tell them that they should try and separate like I think it really comes down to personal preference yeah I mean plus if you really want to watch one of their films pirate that shit like don't give them money like do the dirty on it and stream it illegally (laughs) exactly (laughs) same same even like 
you know, if you feel so compelled to play the Harry Potter game, pirate it. Don't put money yeah. in Rowling's yeah. pocket. Exactly. But I still think that that's kind of just uh, no icky. That's a new yeah. thing, and <laughs> um, that's just where I lie with that one. <laughs> um, but uh, I want to complete tangent now. But this is a uh, one that I'm always interested in as like a what people's responses are. But for yourself. And I know one of them will probably be kind of like maybe possession, but what are your favorite subgenres of horror? But more importantly, why? That's what interests me. Like, what is it that you turn to a subgenre for? Um, well, possession, um, supernatural, and found footage would be my mm. absolute faves. Um, and it's mainly because supernatural and possession, I guess, when you're someone who doesn't really have a belief system um I I think it's interesting and it's almost scarier because I don't believe in this and I I always used to think oh Jesus what if possession was real and what if I got possessed and you know I'd have no bible Quran or (laughs) Torah to help me out so uh, like that's I want to see a possession film where someone's possessed by a demon and they're just atheists and they're like mm. oh fuck here i am <laughs> that would be enjoy really your stay demon um and then supernatural i think because we don't know like i'm kind of i'm kind of a little bit agnostic when it comes to supernatural things and yeah i would find it scary because we really don't know like we know there are serial killers going around killing people like we know <laughs> we know that there is the threat of zombies like i'm sorry but zombies are very mm. very possible um and but supernatural it's always a bit like is there isn't there um so I find that quite scary uh found footage I just think is one of those things that really takes you out of your like you really believe it's real and Mm. I love that like when you're watching like a James Wan film or whatever you know it's a film you know it's make believe. whereas when you're watching found footage even though you know it's not real there's still that part of you that's like oh my god this is real and you know especially with stuff like cannibal holocaust where Mm. you know the filmmaker was pulled up in court because people thought it was real and you know even um what was it charlie sheen tried to get someone taken to jail because he thought a found footage was real i can't remember what found footage it was but he thought it was real um and it it just has it, it manages to just like bring you into this world where you're like holy shit like this is happening Mm, yeah 100% and actually just and jumping off from that like like are, when you're like engaging with found footage like is there any, any ever a time like because for me if I'm watching it and automatically there's like I can notice there's like that logical question of like well why do they have this footage if yeah. like then it the, the rest of the film just won't work because automatically it's just my brain has said oh well that just doesn't make sense like does that happen for you or are you always able to kind of just engage with it in a switched off this could be real way um I guess yeah like I never I didn't get on with Cloverfield for that reason yeah I was kind of like would you though would you not just fuck the camera out there you know and be like fuck this I'm out um so yeah I guess there is like there has been moments where I just like I didn't finish Cloverfield because I was like nope um (laughs) but I think a lot of filmmakers nowadays are very wary of that and Mm. they kind of make sure to like say you know this is why we're filming and this is why we haven't shut the cameras off but I think with the development of found footage as I said, filmmakers have become a lot more switched on to kind of answer that question for viewers. 
100 well i think that's personally like why into the borderlands which i have you to thank for introducing me to it from your podcast but that's why that one is just so effective mm. for me because they literally set it up straight away kind of going hey these these priests were recording to capture a miracle and therefore yeah. the question's gone and yeah. it makes sense especially as like you know even though and spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen this fantastic film turn off watch film come back and spoiler even though at the end they die in that absolutely terrible way mm. in like the stomach of that creature yeah. um their feeds were like automatically being backed up to the cloud so exactly, like they yeah. had such a good way of explaining why we were watching this and yeah, yeah like that's why it's one of my favorites when it comes mm. to found footage and it'll be interesting to see as we kind of go forward in horror filmmaking where found footage goes because technology is advancing like there's now films that are you know dealing with streamers and stuff mm. like this um so yeah it's i think it's definitely the one genre that can always go further can yeah, be expanded absolutely. on like i love slashers but a slasher is a slasher like you know as in yeah. They have their beats, they have yeah. their tropes. Yes, sometimes they'll subvert it and they'll play with your expectations, but a slasher yeah. is a slasher. Whereas like found footage is always going to expand and change. Yeah. So actually just jumping off that, are there any kind of just favorite specific found footage films for you? Like that you would always kind of like, if someone, say there was someone who's like maybe just starting on their kind of horror film journey they're like you know only getting dipping their toes in but they're kind of like oh I you know found footage is something I'm familiar like I'd like to watch what films yeah. would you recommend to people um I definitely go with Blair Witch um just because it's the OG um and it kind of it really it like we talk about found footage and people thinking that it was real like this people really thought this was real mainly due to like the marketing campaign that they had yeah. but i mean you know it hadn't been since cannibal holocaust that people have really seen found footage mm. and kind of introduced new technology to it and um so that would be like one of the ones and then i would say wreck is an amazing found mm. footage and it's so scary as well yeah. um um i would go with the devil's doorway um which is a like a historical found footage it's set in the 60s and it's great to see you know what they can do for taking such a modern genre of horror and transporting mm. it back into like the 60s and i think it's really really um smart um and then stuff like host which yeah. is terrifying and plays on all our fears on zoom um <laughs> and was just so smart when they first brought it out because that's you know people have just started using zoom and it's yeah. based all on zoom um and then you know if you wanted to get a little bit braver and do a bit of extreme i definitely go for cannibal holocaust mm. um as the granddaddy of found footage and the most recent film that actually quite creeped me out was Megan is Missing, and that's a fan mm. footage. Um, so if people were feeling brave, I'd go for Megan is Missing as well. Yeah, and um, if you're feeling brave and also <laughs> you just want to, like, feel like you just need, like, some form of, like, a shower to scrub yourself clean, <laughs> because... Yeah. 
That you need something to ruin your day. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Because what a bleak ending of a film. Like Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's actually that's one that's again talking about how an effective horror will give you a physiological response. Mm. That's one that I watched it now almost like two weeks ago for the first time, or was it last week? I can't remember what is time yeah. these days. But exactly. <laughs> it's still playing on my mind. It's still, mm. it's like rooted deep into my psyche. Um, yeah. But, which is weird because it was actually one of those films that I don't think, it, like personally, it didn't work for me as a found footage because there was okay. one or two things that took me out of it. Yeah. Like, but other than that, it still had an effect on me, which I'm kind of yeah. like, I'm just like, stupid brain (laughs) it didn't meet your criteria of a successful found footage but it's still affecting you (laughs) um but yeah I think it was just one or two things but then maybe that's just because I have really strict criteria of what a found good found footage is but then that comes down to subjectivity what's good and what isn't like we're in that circular question again um but yeah and actually that's actually kind of the links back to kind of like you know that question of censorship and representation and stuff like that because that's actually a perfect example mm-hmm. whereas like there were parts of the film that I was kind of just like why is this here mm-hmm. but then there were other elements which I found profoundly moving and so mm-hmm. it, I just which makes it a really interesting film to I think to discuss which is again to people who don't know seek out the our bloody obsession podcast because mm-hmm. they had a fantastic deep dive into it so i don't want to talk too much about it go listen yeah. to those two because they did a brilliant discussion um but yeah there was just like one bit where i was like hmm, i don't know if i like what i'm seeing but then the next yeah. bit i was just like this is really masterfully done yeah. <laughs> and this, yeah. yeah but it's weird and um, yes found footage as a subgenre is fantastic yeah. um and then I guess jumping off from that, I want to know for yourself, um, this is this is always like an oxymoron of a question, I guess, but what are your comfort horror films? Like if you've had a shit day, shit week, like which films do you turn to because you know you're going to have a good time with them? Um, it would be Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, it's a big comfort film for me. Um, the Conjuring as well. Um, the Exorcist, my favourite yeah. Film of all time um Thor is another one I it's just like going back to the good old kind of classics I find quite mm. comforting and you know I've seen them so many times I know what's gonna happen um but I still really enjoy them um and I think they're really good examples of fine filmmaking and mm-hmm. that just, I, I mean, I know it's really funny. Like I said it to someone the other, I said it to Ruby actually, when we were chatting about Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I said, it's a comfort film for me. And she was like, eh, really? <laughs> like, In the most yeah. Ruby way possible. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I just find them really, really comforting. Yeah. No, like, but talk about like a classic of a film like the texas chainsaw massacre and like this is like you know i've you know said it a few times with during this series but i just my favorite thing about that film is that it has this like massive reputation as being like one of the goriest films of all time Mm. when it's not it's really like playing with your mind and like you know kind of suggestive 
and which is why it's like hilarious to contrast it to the 2022 Texas Chainsaw yes, Massacre, yeah. which is which I had great fun with as well, just because yeah. it was like a stupid like kind of film, but it was yeah. fun. But I just love how they were just like, we're finally going to give you Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> it's going to be gory, <laughs> and you know we're going to have the most famous line of all time of "You're cancelled, bro." <laughs> but um. But yes, I think that's just such a good film. But I like how each of those films that you listed, as you said, are just classics for a reason mm. because they're just examples of how to do things right. Or yeah. And like the fact that two of them are James Wan because he's James Wan is James Wan and you just know yeah. what you're going to get. Yeah. Or then he'll delightfully mess with your expectations and give you malignant which is know, just yes. oh I just love that <laughs> film I'm just like if I if I could get like a Gabriel every year or now <laughs> after having watched Orphan First Kill I'm just like I want Gabriel and Esther to team up <laughs> that's what I want <laughs> no she wouldn't team up with anybody no she's very much her own woman <laughs> and, and so brilliant at it <laughs> but yes no I think like again returning to the conjuring like i love how it's like that film is just so perfect in its own right yeah and then like the rest of the franchise is kind of very much mm, hit or miss yeah but that one is just uniquely just yep james wan nailed it yeah um, absolutely but yeah and like i kind of actually wanted like and st- st- um, jumping off from like you know the fact that we have comfort horror films like kind of expanding from that like why do you think we find comfort in these films like as in is it the fact that we just had an entertaining time and they're kind of like get remind us of kind of like joyful experiences or do you think there's something deeper that like we're able to unpack something by watching these films I think it's all of it uh, Mm. all of the above and that's the joy of horror that we do have those films where like The Conjuring, where it's just a good ghost ride of a film. And, yep. you know, it harks back to kind of um, the the Vincent Price films mm. of the 50s and 60s that were just enjoyable to watch. And that, for me, is stuff like The Conjuring. Um, whereas, you know, there are other films that I find comforting because they reflect back a part of me that I kind of mm. need to explain. I mean, it's like The Babadook, um, yeah. another one of my comfort films, because it's not fun. Like, it's not a fun <laughs> film. It's yeah. a heavy film, but it makes me feel seen and it makes mm-hmm. me feel visible um, and that there's someone else who will take the monster deep down inside of me and somehow be able to put it on film. And that's mm-hmm. a very comforting feel- feeling. 100%. Oh, that's such a strong eloquent point I love that thank you but yeah I think that's again it harks back to people who are queer who engage with horror or anyone who's a marginalized community we engage with it to either directly see ourselves where is that represented on screen or to Mm -hmm. see a facet of ourselves like because like it's 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 funny like it's almost like with any other kind of genre of film, you're watching it as a form of like escapism from like the world. Whereas we almost like turn to horror to actually see our own horrors represented on screen because it helps Mm -hmm. us sit with it and it helps us kind of like unpack that discomfort in a way. It's, 
I just yeah I just love horror fans we're a very fascinating group of weirdos and it's brilliant and <laughs> it's yeah. just beautiful um, and yeah. so as I like kind of like maybe a last kind of closing off question um what do you feel is like the future for horror like are you kind of hopeful do you think we're going to continue moving in this more kind of progressive diverse direction or do you feel like the pendulum might swing back in a way I hope not. Um, <laughs> I hope we see more people of colour, more trans people, um, more queer people, more women behind mm. the camera, um, producing, editing, screenwriting, acting, um, because there's so many more interesting stories to be told, um, mm. so much more than what we've already seen, which is kind of unbelievable like I can't wait to see what story is told next um and I'm really I'm all here for it I'm also here for like how are we going to utilize the ever-changing landscape of technology and mm. you know how are we going to express that or you know play with it it's just oh, it's such an interesting genre to see because it's always been a genre that reflects society you know what how is the past two years going to be reflected in horror mm. how is what's going on right now going to be reflected in horror so interesting and I'm so here for it 100 and what a resounding hopeful note to round off our discussion mm. on and um, so again thank you so much for coming back on and chatting all things horror with me it's always thank you a for blast. Having me. no worries you're always a pleasure <laughs> um so before I let you go where can people find your work and support your work and support you um, so you can listen to the podcast on any good and bad platform. platform. <laughs> um, and I'm mainly uh, active on Twitter. So at what underscore scream. And there you'll be able to like keep up with my writing and all that shit. Amazing. Well, again, thank you so much. And thank to you. my listeners, keep your eyes and ears peeled for future releases in my Why Horror series.